0: And welcome back, our amazing listeners, to another episode of Her Story. Her Story is a podcast where we give everyday women a platform to kind of share their stories about different things that have influenced who they are and have described their journeys from when they were born up to this time. So today with us, we have an amazing, phenomenal woman who is just so inspiring to me. And I couldn't wait for me to listen to her story and we have lisa boyer with us today lisa i thank you for coming we're so grateful for you giving us this opportunity to kind of listen to you speak about everything that's happened to you so far we said times and since you know beginning of when you we were born basically so how are you doing
1: how is everything going with you like i tell most people it's hard for me to answer that question it's hard to say because i can't say i'm good and i'm not terrible you know
0: yeah how how have you been processing everything i totally, I, I understand if you can't even you know that there, there are no words to kind of describe how you're feeling right now but then how how is how has it been just in the process of like healing as you we've met talked about before and how you're just trying to reflect and kind of see where you're at how has it been so far currently i'm
1: <laughs> in survival mode though so. Mm-hmm. I haven't had that time to feel or even process what happened mm-hmm. entirely. Right now I'm still securing my housing. Um, so that's kind of my priority. Mm-hmm. Just make sure I have a secure place for the next year. Um, I think once I finally settled down, it'll be easier to kind of allow myself to feel because currently since I'm living or staying mm-hmm. with uh, a mentor and her young daughter, I do not want to process here because I don't want anybody to see or feel what I feel. I figured once I get my own place by myself, I'm going to be able to do that and not have to worry about anybody feeling this pain that I feel because I don't want to wish that pain on my worst enemy. Um, yeah, absolutely. So
0: yeah, Yeah. Well, let's start with you, right? Let's start with you. So going back to middle school, right? We talked about how everything really started for you in middle school. Um, So going back to middle school, kind of walk us through your process of discovering and becoming more aware of who you were as a person and as a person in the society Um, and how you kind of came out to yourself as a discovering. okay, maybe I'm not like everyone else. Maybe I'm gay. How did that kind of work out? In middle
1: school... I was very insecure and wasn't comfortable in my body for many reasons. I went to a predominantly white school, so I didn't have people around me who looked like me. And for that reason, you know, I was like, oh, my my thighs are too big. My hair is too curly. You know, I felt the need to straighten my hair all the time and to always put it back in a ponytail And just because I was so insecure and just not confident in myself, it was hard for me to see me and to realize who I truly was because I wasn't seeing me for me. I was seeing me for other people. So in middle school, I was really focused. Like I said, I was really focused on school because from a very young age, I knew school would be my escape from my house. I knew school would somehow get me out of my situation because I knew I did not want to end up like my mother or my family for that matter. I wanted to do things none of them have done and so far I've been successful in that. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: in middle school it was really about school and track. Those are the two main things I focused on. And I didn't care about boys. And I didn't think anything of it because I thought I was so focused on my goals and my ambitions that it didn't really mean anything. Yeah. Uh,
0: and then moving on to high school and moving to through your freshman year, did, your freshman year, did you really notice anything different either? Or was it way onto your senior year that you really started saying, okay, this is something I have to I do?
2: I think I, knew. I
1: just I didn't want to admit that I knew. For what, for what I tell most people, coming out to yourself is probably the hardest part. Cause if you can't come out to yourself, you're going to come out to anybody else. How are you going to be comfortable and love yourself if you can't even accept it yourself? Um, so yeah, I definitely battled internalized homophobia for a while and it sucked. It sucked a lot because I couldn't make place why I was so unhappy and why I was just so discontent. Like I couldn't really place why, you know, I knew something was different but I just didn't know what but in the back of my head like I knew it was just always it always went back to that oh that can't be me like there's no way that can be me um so that's what I did for most of my first three years of high school I had boyfriends I didn't truly like any of them (laughs) and I think I kept trying to force myself to to like them but it literally just wasn't there. And I, you know, at one point I was like, is there something wrong with me? Like, why can't I like these boys? I don't understand. Um, And then it would circle around to, oh, could I be? And then it'd be like, no, there's no way. uh And then I kind of, I did that for like the whole three years. You know, it was a long process of that. But my junior year, I stopped. I didn't date anybody my junior year, but that summer after my junior year um, is when I did a summer program and I met this girl, and we clicked really quickly, and we stayed in contact after the program was over, and eventually I realized, like, oh, oh my god, like, I, I think I might like this girl, and it kind of went from there.
0: So after you um, kind of met this girl, and then you realized that, oh, I kind of like this girl, how was the process of, like, you saying, okay, so if I like her, then I think I'm gay. And how did you reconcile that with yourself and kind of be very accepting to that and kind of get to a place where you felt like, okay, I need to share this with people and
1: let people know that, okay, I do have feelings for this person? The previous years before this, I didn't like anybody. So I didn't know what it felt like to like anybody. Mm -hmm. So when I finally did like somebody, it was completely different. And I was like, wow, like this is me all along. And honestly, from the day that I kind of found out I liked her, I quickly told my closest friends like it wasn't it wasn't something I hid. You know, I I told my closest friends like probably a month later once it was like, oh, shoot, like I really do like her. And then I told my mom like in November. So not too far from when I told them. Um, and I think. Once I finally seen what it would be to like somebody and how it felt to like truly be happy, you know, mm-hmm. liking somebody and, you know, just accepting that I do like this person, it was honestly kind of easy to accept myself from there because before it, it was hard for me to be like, yes, I like girls when I haven't liked a girl before. Yeah. Um, so once I did, it was kind of easier to be like yeah I like girls and that makes sense why I didn't like boys for all these years um
0: okay so yeah so how it it you,
1: yeah.
0: yeah so how did you how was it then coming out to your parents and your family and your friends in terms of like did anyone suspect anything before um did anyone kind of know oh did anyone suspect when you were you know coming out to yourself and how was that process kind of? Coming out and telling people, okay, this is who I am, and this is what my family is. And how has the response been to towards
1: that? Okay, so with my okay. mother, as you will see later, we never had a very close relationship. So I don't think she really had any reason to suspect anything because we were never close. Um, same with my sister, even though over the years, my sister would ask me here and there, like, are you gay? And I think it was because I had never had a boyfriend, really, a serious boyfriend. So she would ask me every now and then. I'd be like, No, of course not. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So my mom really seemed very accepting when I first told her. Like, Oh, I still love you, da da like, but a few months down the line, it was time to go to Pride, I was like, Yeah, I'm about to go to Pride And she was like, Oh, are you going to be an ally? And I was like, Did you not can you not remember what yeah. I told you? Mm-hmm um and for my pretty much the majority of my first year of college only my immediate family knew but with everything that had recently started happening a couple weeks ago I came out publicly to my entire family on Facebook and how was your response and, to that? I don't really know hmm. my uncle who is also gay yeah. who I never really met because he he left he left the state because of how homophobic my family was towards Mm -hmm. him so that really made me scared to come out
2: a lot of a lot of my friends so like texas is also very religious so that adds another element i think um to like a lot of the homophobia that's like kind of in like has unfortunately been like like really like stigmatized and like caused a lot of hurt and like things like that and self-expression and also i feel like has made like self-expression like really complicated because i feel like people really stigmatize like people who um like identify as gay or queer like they like you're you're either like you're either i once heard like oh man this was just crazy like i feel like how has like the the process been like navigating like self-expression i i guess that's like a question maybe because like i feel like a lot of like people like my parents like whenever i introduce them into like my friends at school who um identify as gay or queer they're always like wow like she's like like that she doesn't like look gay. I feel like there's always like the stigma of like what someone needs to like look like or like like look or like this concept of like a gaydar Like I feel like there are so many elements to this that like I don't like I'm and I can't speak necessarily, but I feel like the self expression is like super like the world has just made it super complicated to like and then you express yourself. Like I would just ask, like, how has your like journey been like self express and like self expression and like what stigmas have you faced and like what kind of like obstacles have people put up around you?
1: Yeah, well definitely as a more feminine presenting, um, which, which the lingo is a femme, I can call myself a femme, which basically means I'm very feminine and I dress very feminine. Um, and that when you think of a very feminine girl, you don't automatically think that she's gay. When I like, you know, I don't really have to put anything super cute on, but just like going out and just, you know, I get a lot of male attention and male eyes, but obviously that's not the attention that I want and not saying I want attention, period, but attention from the male specifically, it makes me uncomfortable because even when I do make it very clear on social media that I do not like boys, um a lot of them take it offensively and they think you're like coming after them or somehow it has to do with them that you don't like boys and i really 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 just that because it it really encases their insecurities and just it's disgusting to me because if i tell you hey i'm off limits to you in anything more than a friendship then they take that offensively like am i not good enough yeah. to just be a friend to yeah. you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you mentioned
0: a concept that even f- something that I, as someone that's like just coming into this kind of like, I grew up in a place where being gay was completely banned. Like if you said yeah. you were gay, you were literally going to get bitten up in the street. So right. that's kind of where I grew up in. And so that's kind of the culture I grew up with. And so I, coming to America, it was a huge culture shift. For me and it's something I had to learn how to kind of converse with people and converse with and accept all identities and all orientations and everyone in who they are right and so I think you bring up something that I think I also battled with initially I was like well she doesn't look gay because it was always something I was always like well she doesn't look gay I'm just gay right and so that's something else that I had to deal with as well so Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up and you mentioned that but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Can we talk a little bit about just like how you coming out as gay kind of was received by people at your school? So like how oh, okay. your school kind of received it, considering that they kind of knew you personally much more than some people did, at least.
1: Yeah. So, so my close so- friends, who I actually told like before coming into senior year we they're all also queer so you know a lot of them kind of were like oh like you lisa we kind of figure, but um so you know the response they're fine um it was just what i expected but it started getting complicated when more people started finding out because i didn't tell the whole school all at once because one i didn't seem i didn't feel like it was their business to know and two because i kind of knew they would judge so, and the thing is, like, you would think it's, okay, so I went to a small private Catholic high school, mm-hmm. and you would think that teachers would be somewhat just, you know, homophobic, but no, it was, literally the teachers were accepting, and they literally have pride flags on the wall, on their lanyards, like, they're super accepting, and that was never the issue. The issue lied with this, um, it was a very, very bad issue, but basically, like I said, I didn't just come out for the whole school. They kind of started climbing out because of this girl that I liked. Um, I don't really know how it went there to people, like, spreading rumors and talking, but it did, it happened kind of quickly, um... In fact, I used to mentor this freshman, and she was openly biased and people seen us always together because I was helping her with homework. I seen her, and she had like behavioral problems at school. So I seen her, and I was like, "Wow, like that girl reminds me of me." Like, because when I was younger, I was really angry because of everything I was going through at home, and so I was like, "Maybe she's dealing with the same thing." Some, you know, I don't want her to ruin her grades over this. So I was there to basically mentor her and to help her because I seen myself in her in ways and people seen us always together. And we're like, Oh, like, you know, that freshman's openly by and Elisa has a pride flag on her backpack. Like she must, they must be together. And let me emphasize, she was 14. I was 17, almost 18. Not only is that illegal, but that relationship was not anything more than a mentor-mentee relationship. And the people who knew me knew that was the case, but everybody else kind of took that rumor and ran with it. And it became very messy very quickly. Um, And then I had a girl come ask me like, oh, Elisa, you know, I'm hearing these things around you know, I wanted to hear it from you, which I know this girl is messy. She's very messy, even to this day. And she was like, oh, I wanted to hear it from you. Like, are you gay? And I was like, well, I'm not going to hide anything. Yes, I am. And and I said, I was like, if anybody else wants to know, they can just ask me. They don't need to go behind my back. Because um, I knew this stuff was going on, but it wasn't happening in in my face because nobody was bold enough, brave enough to just be in my face about it. And so it was just going on behind my back. I knew it was going on because people would look at me ways and they would just whisper. And it's just like when you think of a high school drama filled movie, this is what you would think of. Um, But that's not all. So this girl was also the part of the team captains on the basketball team. And our basketball coach happened to be homophobic. And so somebody, one of the team captains, I'm assuming decided to take it upon themselves to tell this coach and this coach also knew I had a very good relationship with this freshman and so he took it upon himself to pull her mom aside he didn't know she was bi but he took it upon himself to talk to her mother after a practice and be like oh Elise is like swinging for the other team like you need to keep her away from your daughter you know keep her away don't don't have her near her Yeah. And not only did the freshman tell me, but her mother herself told me because her mother and I had a really good relationship. She seen what I was doing for her daughter and she really appreciated it. And she was trying to express her gratitude. But she also she told me what what he said. And I was like, wow, like that's literally he ruined. Like when I found out that next morning that he said this, it kind of ruined my day. And Because I knew from that moment forward, I would not have the same experience on the basketball team, which is what ended up happening. Um, I thought he he wasn't putting me in as much. Um, And then we went to an away game in Washington. And a lot more stuff happened. So basically, we had a hotel and we were very close to Canada um, because we drove all the way up through Washington, almost to Vancouver, Canada. And. And there we obviously got a hotel because it was very far and they decided to go to Canada to like walk around after a game. And I was very tired and I didn't want to go. And I made that clear. I have a headache. I don't want to go. They're like, okay, we can drive you back to the hotel. The freshman also was like, yeah, I don't want to go either. So we go back to the hotel. I go in my room. She goes in hers. Um, And then she comes over and we go get food. And then we're just chilling in my room, you know, just watching TV, talking and then. All of a sudden, I hear a knock at the door and I go to look at the door, open the door, and there's a whole crowd outside my room. Again, when you think of the movies, this is what you think of because I was like, this is not happening right now. Yeah. There's literally a crowd of people outside my room. Yeah. People on the boys and the girls basketball team just staring out like I open the door and then all of a sudden they want to, they want to like flee. And this, this girl is standing there and she's like, Oh, what are you doing? And she's like trying to peek through the window, I mean through the door and like look, and I'm like, I'm literally just sitting here. What do you want? And she was like, oh. "Oh, I was just seeing and then she walked away, and that girl was one of the team managers or a captain, I don't remember, but knowing how things had worked before, I assumed that she was gonna go tell the coach what she thought she had seen. I assumed they thought we were doing something in the hotel room because they like to assume and I don't know this just retelling this story I'm just remembering all my anger and frustration because I'm like what like what (laughs) um so we going back to the school after this was all over the coach sends me a text saying oh we need to talk so I'm like okay so I meet him at the school and then he was like you know Elisa like I thought this could work but you know clearly it's not so you're off the team um he didn't say like oh performance he didn't say oh your performance is lacking he didn't say oh you're not playing as well he just said you know I thought this would work but it's not you're off the team period
0: was anyone and, there like did anyone was anybody around to like like how when he no. said you were off the team I'm just like imagining the response no. that could have been there from around people
1: no we were, in, no. We were just in the gym it was with us Hmm. um so this was like during (laughs) the break when this happened so when school was back in session I started getting questions like Elisa you're off the team like what happened and you know I didn't really answer at the time but I eventually took it upon myself to speak well actually it's not even that I directly wanted to just say what happened but eventually people started finding out like close teachers that I told were concerned and were like, maybe you should speak to the vice principal about this. Um, And so I did. I eventually brought it up to the administration and told them, you know, this is not okay. I told them exactly what happened. You know, the girl's mom came in and she backed me and just, yeah, I just, I spoke with them formally at a meeting and told them everything. And eventually this coach was fired and because they were like, we do not tolerate homophobic people working at our school. Mm -hmm. right? And I don't know if it has anything to do with it, but at my school, nobody goes to top schools. That's just not what most people go to the to Portland Community College and other people go to state schools. So when people seen that I had gotten this full ride, you know, I got the QuestBridge scholarship. When people had seen that, I also had receiving had been receiving a lot of hate and jealousy as well. So, and that happened the beginning of December when I found out about QuestBridge. And this stuff with the basketball team happened at the end of December. So, I'm not saying the two are connected, but jealousy definitely plays a part here as well. People were trying to tear mm-hmm. me down. They were trying to just yeah. put more on me. Because a lot of people, not a lot of people, but like those, those team captains who, and there's one specific girl who I knew was driving the whole thing. And I knew people were following after her and going after what she was saying. This one specific girl who, again, I was really close with the year before. um, It was
2: just very, 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 very interesting. The first time I learned about like LGBTQ experience was in college and that like, I feel like that in itself is like disappointing because I've gone all the way through high school and I never had a friend at once who, or I I have, like, I had a f- couple friends who like, like individually, like came out to me, but like wouldn't just would not come out to other people. And they would have things like have like boyfriends just to keep like a, like a perception because like, no one talks about it. Like no one, I'm, there are plenty of people. I feel, like wonderful, powerful, like amazingly intelligent people in history who yeah. have like just remarkable people who have been LGBTQ but we have decided to like silence them like through like and see history in our own eyes and I feel like I don't know do you feel like maybe like including books like Fun Home or just like including like the experience as like reflecting that through history more would maybe have an impact on like the way we're able yeah. to receive like these things maybe like like in high school, do you think that at all would like change the way that like people interact and like, yeah, like that, I would say like having access to like understanding, but I feel like also just like being like almost forcibly immersed into like other people's experiences. Like I feel like in this, yeah, like in the same way, like I feel like people will always remain on the fence as long as they are not put in a position where. Where that's, like, I feel like people genuinely don't understand the concept of, like, don't, like, if you are not against, then you're, you're, you're ultimately, like, just for, like, because, like, people don't put themselves in positions to, like, understand experiences more. And I feel Mm -hmm. like, I feel like there's also a level of empathy, right? Because, like, people maybe don't understand how important it is or haven't, like, haven't had anyone in their life that's been, like, struggling with, like, grappling with, like, society's view of these things. But, yeah. Do you mean people just having that
1: access to firsthand stories of things like that? Or what do you mean exactly? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't necessarily believe that forcing, not even like forcing people into other people's like life, but at the end of the day, this problem arises with the family and just like many like generational trauma and things like that. Like this, these problems are generational you know, like I said, both of these girls' families are homophobic. And instead of them changing that narrative of their family, they ran with it and they allowed themselves to embrace it and to continue it forward. While me, although my family also may be homophobic, I did not allow that to make me, yes, it did at first, control my own self in a way where like I had internalized homophobia, but I never let that Rub off on other people. I was never homophobic to anybody else but myself. You know, I was very accepting other people. Like I said, my two best friends were also queer. So, although, like I do say, these problems are generational and start with the family, that is not an excuse for that behavior because you're old enough to know, you know, to do better. You're old enough to know that what you're doing is not right. You're old enough to know what your family is doing is not right. But if you decide to conform and just like embrace your family's values and beliefs, then that's on you at the end of the day. You can't use, oh, but that's just how my family is. That's just how I am. I was raised that way. That is not an excuse, even though that is where I believe the problem truly arises. So even if they see, and I'm not saying like them, them seeing firsthand what somebody like me, for example, goes through when people are homophobic, I'm not saying that couldn't make somebody not homophobic, but I think that problem really lies within them. It lies within themselves. And that is something that they have to take action on. You know, nobody else can do that for them.
0: Yeah. absolutely. And then you speak about something that I think is important, is this idea of jealousy. Right. And I think we in this society, we need to be able to instead of Having this sense of like cancel culture where we see, okay, people that are trolls and people that are online trolls and people that are haters and just saying, oh, we're just going to cancel them out of society. I think we need to really find out what the issue is, like where that, where does that hate come from, right? Where does it stem from? And then see, okay, so how can we walk you through? Because you mentioned it, your friend it's probably feeling a yeah. lot of anger and jealousy towards you
1: because she was also in the same state herself and she didn't know how to come out of it. And so, I'm think- um, sorry. Not only is it like jealousy in that way, but I didn't mention, you know, I am I am half black and these girls are black as well. And as black women, you would think they wouldn't be so quick to tear me down because as black women, I feel like we need to uplift and empower each other. We are already facing so much, and so for them to just add on. Not only to my family problems, but, you know, yeah. this is where I forgot to mention this, but this is also where my head was at, too, because as a black woman, we think we would want to empower each other and see each other shine and to be happy when uh, some one of us is succeeding, you know, and that is also something that's very important and something that I was reading quotes on like years ago, like, oh, like, watch, watch how your friends react when you tell them good news. Because that really shows whether they're truly there for you, they're pretending to be there for you, or they just really aren't there for you. um, and are actually jealous. So that's something you need to watch out for for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you're speaking to one of our great missions and our big missions at Fe Unite, which is to kind of see how can we get to a place where women are not tearing women down. Because if we Mm -hmm. black women are tearing the black women down and we're asking black men, all men, to give us rights and respect we're not going to get it because they're going to tell us that, oh, but you, you literally called her a bitch yesterday. You know, like those kind of things. If we see those happening between us, there's no way for us to move forward and get to where we need to be as a community. If right. we are having this kind of jealousy going on in between us, but kind of moving on away from this amazing topic and kind of moving to your story and the story of a mayor, um, can you give us a little description about your relationship with your mother and like the family structure between you two?
1: Um, Like I said, my mother and I were never close. We never had a good relationship. When I was growing up, my mother was very much so in a way she felt like she needed a man and she would always put her man first. And even as a child, I recognized this. she wasn't giving me that same attention she was giving them. You know, she was giving them the attention, her she was giving them time, money, effort, everything all to her man. And her children always came second. I recognized that very early on. And so did my siblings. It started there. And my mom is also an alcoholic. She was very much so an alcoholic when I was younger. That just created so many more problems on top of everything else, because when she would drink, she would just become so angry. You know, she would crave alcohol. She would have to buy it like every day in big bottles and she would just go through them so quickly. Not only that, but as a child, I just like the smell of beer just kind of lingers in my memory when I think of my childhood. Because I remember there were just beer cans all over the house and it would just reek of beer. And in a way, it reminds me of like a frat house. And that's why I cannot do frat houses, because it brings me back to my childhood and just how nasty and disgusting that was and just how sad it made me to just be immersed back into that and so she was very much an alcoholic and she would drink a lot and she would not only you know verbally abuse us but she would physically abuse us um just beat us really bad it was just very bad because in a way like when we even need necessity she would essentially kind of make us work for them and we basically had to be deserving of necessities and I don't know. That's just it was just very interesting. And when I think of it now and I tell it to people now, they they look at me and they're like, what? You dealt with that. But for me, like when I tell it, it's like, wow, like, you know, that became normal for me. Like this kind of childhood was normal to me because I didn't know anything better. Um. Before, you know, um, before I started reading books and started escaping into different realities because I could not deal with my own reality, because I was like, if I really think like I'm just stuck in this reality. Like this is all I have. What is there to look forward to? But books opened up my imagination. They opened up my world. If you ask many people who knew me as a child and you ask, what does she do? Well, not only did I read a lot, but I also play chess because I basically just immersed myself in anything that, you know, I could really just use to my advantage. Chess kept me at school longer. So that was good. After school, it kept me at school longer. So that was good. You know, I wasn't home as much. And then reading in any other time. And when I think of my childhood, I'm so thankful I did read a lot because when I think of my childhood, I just remember reading. Yes, I remember the abuse to an extent, but I know it's much worse than what I can remember it as. And I think that speaks volumes itself. Yeah, we, you know, not that holidays and Christmas and things like that matter. Um, We didn't celebrate any of that. I probably had one or two Christmases growing up, period, but we didn't celebrate that. Usually over Christmas, our house would just be dark and everybody would be in their room and it would just be really depressing and sad. And same with my birthday. Um, actually, one year, my mom decided to have my brother circumcised on my birthday. And I was there with her while she was like making the appointment. And I was like, hey, but that's my birthday. And she's like, well, you know, that's the only day that's going to work. So, And she didn't, and she just didn't care. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So like when I woke up that morning of my birthday, they were already gone. And I took the bus, you know, an hour and a half to school like I always did. And I don't know. I just went about my day from there. So it's kind of just interesting how I grew up. um, Again, this is just very surface level things. Things went much deeper than that. But, you know, we don't have all that time today to talk about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, can you just give us a little context about how your family? Are you the only child, or I know you have? No.
1: Okay. No. I have mm-hmm. two. Well, I actually, I have three older siblings, but one is on my dad's side, and I don't really know him that well. And then I have two older siblings on my mother's side, who I obviously know better. Um, yeah.
0: Okay. So, you came home in March, right? And because of the pandemic, that shut down the school. How was Amir? What was his say? Like when you came home, because you'd been gone for, you know, the quarter and you were gone for like the last quarter. How was Amir and what was his current state? By the way, Amir is Elisa's brother.
1: Yeah, Amir, he was very happy to see me like he always is. He's always very happy to see me. Clearly, there was no suspicion. nothing for me to suspect when I first came home things kind of just like small things like psychological things started building up over time and I eventually put the pieces together after my mom said something very out of like out of pocket and very you know raised red flags and yeah so that's kind of just like a brief.
0: Tell me about that Saturday I believe it was Saturday Saturday,
1: when yeah. the mayor finally spoke up to you about his yeah. abuse. And yeah. habit. Well, Saturday is not when Amir spoke up, but when my mom said something mm-hmm. very questionable. Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: yeah. So tell me about the day he spoke up, and then
1: let's move to Saturday. Well, the whole reason that I decided to even pull Amir to the side and talk to him was because on that Saturday before Mother's Day, literally the day before Mother's Day, um, I walked into my mom's room and, like, you know, content warning, obviously, but I walked into her room and she was like, oh, we need to monitor his videos. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? Monitor his videos. She was like, well, I think he's been watching adult content. And I'm like, OK, what do you mean? And she was like, well, because I went to take off my pants in the bathroom. And I'm like, OK, like, why are you butt naked in front of your five year old, almost five year old, because he'll be five in July, five year old son. But I was like, Whatever. And she was like, oh, yeah, I took off my pants, got into my bed, and then I felt something cold behind me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She was like, I turned around and, quote, unquote, Amir's little dick was hard. Um, And I was like, immediately, red flags, my hair started standing up. I had a gut feeling something was seriously wrong. And she was saying he was pressed up against her. And he took his pants off and was pressed up against her. And I was like, first of all, he's four. He doesn't know any of that, nothing of that. YouTube does not allow adult content. Even if he had seen adult content, he would turn away from it. He wouldn't be interested in that, period. And so immediately red flags stood up. I did not say anything then because I knew that my mom would go tell more people. So I wanted more people to know firsthand. Um, So I decided to stay quiet for then. You know, I pretended that, you know, oh, you know, that's, you know, that's crazy. But I didn't really, I didn't showcase how I felt to her. And so Monday was Mother's Day. I decided to stay home. They went to my grandmother's house. Um, Actually, before I get there, we went to my grandmother's house that same Saturday. And I stepped outside to call my sister and tell her what my mother said. And my sister was like, yeah, it's weird, but, like, I don't think there's any concern. And I'm thinking, like, but there is a concern because a 40-year-old, you know, 40, what is she, 44 or something like that, should not be saying this, period. Nobody should be saying something like this about a 4-year-old. And she was like, yeah, but, like, she wouldn't do nothing like that. Like, I don't think it's a problem. And so that made me really frustrated because I was like, there is something wrong here, and I know in my gut something is wrong here. But she just dismissed it, so... Sunday, I decided to stay home. I didn't do anything with them for Mother's Day. But Monday is the day that I, that I finally eased Amir into the conversation without, like, coercing him or just, like, leading him on because kids are easily influenced. Without doing any of that, I just slowly started asking him about what my mother said because he was in the room the same day that she told me what apparently he did to her. That's why I was able to ask him because he was there when she was talking to me about it. And eventually, he told me what happened. And he showed me what two teddy bears what happened. And I recorded this entire thing. And then I went to my older brother's room, who is 29 years old, who lives with us. And I basically told him everything. And I said, I recorded videos. And I believe 100% that this is what has happened. Because there's no way Amir's lying to me about this. And he was like, yeah, but like Amir says stuff sometimes like, I don't really think anything's going on. I was like, Demetrius, do you not understand? I recorded the videos. I know this happened 100% in my gut. You know I wouldn't say something like this lightly. He was like, yeah, but like, maybe we should wait till she gets home to talk to her. And I was like, no, like, luckily she had just gotten the van fixed. So she has two cars. One is like the car she drives to work. And then there's a van. She happened to get this van fixed very recently before all of this happened. And she left the keys there that day because she parked the car in the grass and wanted me to move it after she had left. So things really lined up on this very specific day. So I was like, no, like I am going, I'm taking on I'm packing some stuff and we're going to my grandma's house. And he was like, all right, like you do you, but I'm not a part of it. And I was like, fine. And so I got on we got in the car and We went to my grandmother's house and I told my cousin was also there. And I told them kind of briefly what happened, showed them a little bit of the video. And they were like, yeah, you need to call that in right now. And I was like, yeah, I know I'm going to do it right now. And so that's what I did. And things kind of just went from there.
0: So this is this is phenomenal. I'm still trying to process it. And so how was the response been for you reporting your mom like this? Right.
1: So telling. Very, Very negative. Um, obviously. Family-wise, it's been very negative. A lot of people are on her side. Um, my sister, my brother, my auntie, um, all the other family members who aren't reaching out to me and know this is going on and is only talking whispers to everybody. To me, they're also on her side because, like, come on now, you know I got kicked out because that same Monday after I reported it, you know, I, I got texts like, Oh you know, mom's going to put all your stuff on the porch tonight. So you you better come get it. (laughs) Mind you, it was raining this day. And I had just bought a lot of nice stuff because I was working and I made the money to buy some nice stuff because I had never had nice stuff before. And so then she was like, and she knew this. And now she was like, oh, I'm about to put all your stuff on the porch. All that stuff she was putting on the porch is stuff that I brought with my own money. She did not buy none of that stuff. And so I'm like, that's very disrespectful. Like, To me, it's not even about the materialistic aspect. It's about the fact that that's all my hard work that you're just going to throw away. So, yeah, I got kicked out that night and I went to my grandma's house and. I was only there for like a night and a, a, a day and a half before I just couldn't be there anymore either, because I lived with her before. And there's many, many other reasons why I just couldn't be there. My mental health was very quickly deteriorating when I was there, um, that Monday night and Tuesday night, Tuesday night was really bad for me and I just could not be in there anymore. Like I literally was going to go crazy and just, I don't know. I don't know what would ha- what would have, ha- what would have happened if I had stayed in that house. And so that's when my mentor who had been, who I had been contacting throughout this whole process, that's when she like was like, you know, you need to pack, pack your stuff. Like you're coming here with me. Um, and the thing about my mentor is she was actually my track coach from high school. I met her my sophomore year of high school when she came to De La Salle, my high school. And she knew well actually I didn't just come out and tell her all the stuff that I'd been going on with my mom my sophomore year cuz again this none of this is new. I think she noticed my performance was slipping and at one meet she put me to the side and she was like, "Well, you know, I see something's up here because you're not running the same. And and I was like, no, I'm fine. Like, there's nothing wrong. But eventually she got it out of me. And this very moment she was like, well, Elisa, if anything ever goes crazy with your mom and you have nowhere to stay, no, I have a place for you. Yeah. Mind you, this was my sophomore year when this happened. <laughs> and fast forward three years later. None of us, both of us thought it was, we were out of the clear. Both of us thought, you know, with school and with, you know, college yeah. that I was good. And I didn't want to come to her house at first. I was honestly just going to go nowhere. I was just going to be, I don't even know where, but because I, again, I don't want to, I didn't want to put this on her. I didn't want to put this on anybody, but she was like, I'm not giving you a choice here. Like you, you're coming here regardless of what you say. And so, so. That's kind of, you know, I've been here the past two weeks and three weeks, almost three weeks. And I keep telling her, like, she's my guardian angel. And, like, all of this happened for a reason. Like, none of this was a coincidence. And-, and I think you talk about something
0: that is super important, which is the role the community kind of plays. And I want to speak more to that. The role the community kind of plays in safeguarding its own people, right? Like, how your mentor took you in. And also... I want you to speak about like talking to people what would you say to people that kind of see this kind of things happening because something you mentioned in your youtube video was this idea that now in this pandemic right people are at home and like your siblings nobody's going to report people that are at home that doing something wrong because you don't want to mess up your family and the normal you know right so how can people as a community someone your neighbor that is watching from the next house when I that hears different weird sounds at night because he's a neighbor and he can hear things like that how what do we ha- what do you have to say to
1: those people and their role as a community see this is it's it's hard it's very difficult because not everybody's in a situation where you know a neighbor can hear what's going on and even if a neighbor does hear what's going on who's to say it's not a movie you know who's to say it's not just something, you know, that is on the TV or something. It's hard to say, but if you feel like something is wrong, like they say, see something, say something. Yeah. Cause if you don't, at the end of the day, you're contributing. You're part of the problem. And I kind of touched on that in my YouTube video. Like my siblings, they contributed. To me they are part of the problem. To me they are just as guilty as her.
0: But then how do you think people can help in this time? And this is kind of leading to your organization day. In this time, in this pandemic, with no end in sight, how can people outside, because obviously you're, people inside are not going to report things like this, and they're happening more so now that people are locked at home. Something, this your story and things that, the thing that happens, um, the violence that happened to a mayor is also happening to people in so many different spaces. So how do you think yeah. people as a community can work to help, you know, just help in some way? Right. How can it help someone like that? Well, the thing
1: is here um, with especially with COVID and like day days focused on domestic abuse, so within the household, within the family, those are the people I'm trying to reach. It's not even necessarily the neighbors um, associated with that family. It's the family themselves that I'm trying to reach because again, this problem lies within the family. This abuse happens within the family these are the people I'm trying to reach. And of course, day is not fully completely planned out. And again, I still need people to, you know, help me get this organization moving and to really put my ideas forward. But the families are who I'm trying to reach. For example, I have a cousin who didn't speak up about something my mom did to her until she was 30. So like, and that's what typically happens. That's what you typically see is these kids don't say anything till they're like 30 years old. And when it's way too late for any charges to be pressed or for anything to happen. And then these same people do the same thing. Like my mother did something to my cousin when she was a teenager. And she, you know, sexually abused her when she was a teenager. And then she continued because nothing was said about it, even though people knew about it within the family, nobody said anything. Years later, she had her own child and did the same thing. So that's the problem. You don't stop these people, they're going to just do it again.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So, again, I'm trying to reach the people within the families, and I know it's hard, and that's why day is so important because I didn't make day because I knew it would be easy to reach people. It's not easy to reach people within the family. But by me sharing my story, and by hopefully other people sharing their stories, we can somehow start to make that change because people can see. Oh shoot, this is what happens when it's not reported. This is what happens when it is reported. This is how this is firsthand how somebody dealt with this domestic abuse, you know, how they handled it. Like by people seeing this, hopefully, and by able to being being able to raise awareness, among other things that I want Data eventually do. Hopefully more things will be said sooner. Because again, it could have been too late for Amir. If I didn't come home, if the pandemic didn't happen, who knows what, what, where Amir would be right now? Because not only was he being abused, but he was being neglected. He wasn't being fed. He wasn't his, he was sleeping during the day and up all night. You know, he was not a kid. He was not being taken care of the way he should have been before I got there. So who knows how late, because you know, just because it's de- uh, sexual abuse doesn't mean there isn't other kinds of be- of 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 abuse, and that's why it's domestic abuse period, not just sexual abuse. That's why Day is covering you know those bases entirely.
0: Can You tell us a little, just for people that don't know. Can you
1: tell us about Day and what your goals and your mission for Day is? Well, I kind of briefly explained like one of the biggest goals. You know, there's more there. I'm just I'm not going to get into them too much because there's there's just a lot more that I need to work out and more. But again, day is more focused on um, domestic abuse advocates for use. Advocate slash awareness, um, they go hand in hand to me. Um, So that's why I don't really know what that second A is going to be for sure. But right now, um, advocate slash awareness is where I'm going for that. So not only am I trying to, you know, advocate and have other people on my team be able to advocate for these children, but also raise this awareness so people are able to speak up more and to recognize things more and to just not let things slip because Gabriel Fernandez is not the only kid. Amir, my brother, is not the only kid. Like this is happening and it continues to happen. I am also a victim of domestic abuse as a as a child. You know, my siblings are also those victims, so again yeah, it just it's generational ask? and it just continues and it continues
0: like right now what can we do like for right now someone is listening to this podcast and is feeling like oh my gosh realizing that you know right now there are a lot of people right now that are in this situation they're home mm-hmm. their kids are home for the next three months yep at least, at least the next three months it could be way more than that what can yeah. we do right now to help this
1: situation and to do something about this. The best thing, if if you're currently in a situation where you're suspecting something is going on within your family or within somebody else's family, you have to take action in some way, whatever appropriate action you think you need to do. Sometimes directly going to the kid is not a smart solution. So don't just think you need to directly go to the child themselves. Sometimes you need to reach out to, you know, child protective services and have them do the reaching out and tell them everything, you know, if you're seriously suspecting it, you know, that is just a very, just, if you see something, say something, period. But also if day sounds like something you want to get involved in and you think you can contribute to, or if you have a story that you want to, because again, I'm trying to somehow do a anonymous thing where people can share their stories, anonymous or not anonymous, where people can share their stories because they think it will help other people. So eventually I do want to be able to to implement that too. Um, Yeah, so I have an email for Day. I created one. So if any any of this speaks to you and you somehow want to get involved, you can shoot an email to Day. The email is day, D-A-A-Y, dot domestic abuse awareness at gmail.com. So if you somehow want to get involved or even just reach out to me, just share your thoughts, anything, anything that has to do with day or domestic abuse, just reach out to that email and we can make something happen from there.
0: Can you repeat the email just one more time? And maybe yeah. social media um you
1: know, so people can reach out to you concerning this. Yeah. So on Facebook So Day's Facebook page is just D-A-A-Y on Facebook. You can easily find it. But the email, again, is just D-A-A-Y dot domestic abuse awareness at gmail.com. You can also, um, if you want to reach out to me personally, my Instagram is Elisa I-Z-E-L-L-A. Or you can also reach out to me on Facebook at Elisa Boyer. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of just the brief socials. I don't think my poetry page is really necessary, but yeah. But speaking about your poetry
0: page, um, can you tell me how your poetry page has kind of hewed you through all of this?
1: And Oh, yeah. Yeah. So even in high school, um, throughout all this stuff with my mom, the only thing that really truly saved me was writing and I discovered writing and just truly doing poetry through Janae go because I, I knew about Janae and I've been a fan of Janae since middle school. But high school, I really, really, really started delving into her work and really just appreciating her story. And just that itself inspired me to write myself and to really invest all my soul and my time into that. And to me, that is what saved me in high school. And when all this started happening, it is, again, the only thing that has been saving me. And so I'm also working on a book where I'm writing a story. It's my life story, but it's written to me from me. So I posted a sneak peek on my Instagram page, which also is doing extremely well, like way better than I thought it would be doing. Um I started this page about two weeks ago and I'm already at 328 followers. So. My page is already blown up and i am it's crazy because I didn't think it was going to. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I,
0: I, I mean, I was really going through your poem, your poems today and I was like, wow, <laughs> like a
1: lot of them spoke to me, too. Um, yeah. So kind of round up. Yeah. That's my goal. I want to I want to reach people. I want people to know that they are not alone in their feelings and that they express how they feel and that. There's people out there who feel the same thing you feel because every poem you read on that page is something that I felt. Every poem on that page is real and came from me directly. So if you want to check out my work as well, if you just want to look and see if somehow you can, you know, resonate with anything I have written, um, that page is unapologetic.poet. And it's a public page, so you don't have to, like, request or anything. You could just go on there and look at some poems if you want to. Yeah. and my poems range from the good the bad the ugly so and finally a message to
0: you 10 years from now what would you tell yourself 10 years from now that
1: this was all part of god's plan and it's going to all come full circle there's a reason you went through all this pain all these years there's a reason you've been dealing with this there's a reason your life has never been easy you know and one day you'll see that it was all meant to be. Wow! Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. This was phenomenal. Of course, <laughs> I'm, I'm honored you and asked me to come on here and speak.
0: Your your work and your story is just so amazing. And I'm it's inspired me. So I know it's gonna inspire a lot of people. And I'm so proud of you. I can't wait to see what you're gonna do. Can't wait to see what you're gonna grow. And also can't wait to see how many lives you're going to impact and touch and really help and save. Um, Thank thank you so much. Um, Well, we forgot to introduce Lauren. (laughs) So we have Lauren here with us, which is amazing because she is phenomenal and I love her presence on the podcast. So I think we're going to have a lot more of Lauren on our podcast um, going forward. (laughs) But This has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming, Elisa and Lauren.
1: Thank you for asking me to come here today. Thank you. Of course. Again, thank you for asking me to come here and share that story. Um, I just think it's really important that people are able to see firsthand that these things do happen to people and that things can be done about it. It doesn't just have to be kept quiet because my family have and are still trying to keep me quiet about what is going on. And that is not how you solve problems by just letting them fly under the radar. You have to speak up about it or nothing's going to be done.
0: Absolutely. That's a great way to end this podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much. This has been amazing. Um, We'll catch you and all our listeners in our next episode where we have another amazing woman kind of share their story and show you how diverse this world is. And this world is so much bigger than you can ever imagine. And it's important that you dive into that and kind of realize that one, you're not the only person in this world, and two, it's your responsibility to take care of the next person beside you.